0: Hello, this is Dr. John Norton, and this is Hamlet Lecture Number 1. The play Hamlet, written by William Shakespeare, sometime between 1599 and 1601. It's often considered the greatest achievement of the world's greatest playwright. It has been performed and translated more than any other play in the world. And And the other thing about that is it's been written about, so more has been written about it. And, and it has inspired more parodies and spin offs than any other literary work. Uh, the famous to be or not to be speech, we'll be looking at that uh, in the next couple lectures. This is the most quoted phrase in the English language. Here's some in- interesting numbers for you more than 26 ballets, six operas, and dozens of musical works uh, have been inspired by Hamlet. Uh, there have been more than 45 movie versions, including those by. Lawrence Olivier, Mel Gibson, and Kenneth Branagh, and those are excellent. There's a new one uh, as well. Um, what's his name? Ah, um, oh, shucks. I'll get back to you on that one. But there's there's great ones. The new ones coming out all the time. So even those numbers that I just just gave you, maybe I mean that's those aren't even very old. But those aren't old numbers. But there'll be new ones all the time. So Hamlet is Shakespeare's longest play. Uncut, it would take between four and a half to five hours. To to perform. In, in total there are 1530 lines, more than any other Shakespeare character. Um, there are, Hamlet himself, I should say, sorry, Hamlet himself has uh, 15, uh, 1530 lines, more than any other Shakespearean character, which is an important thing to think about um, in terms of what Shakespeare is trying to do with this play. And that's always a question we need to be asking, you know, why does Shakespeare fashion a certain character in a certain way? Why does Shakespeare give his characters certain characteristics? Why does he put them in certain settings? And so forth. These are all clues. They're hints that we can put together to really understand more about the play. And really what perhaps what Shakespeare was, was meaning to do with the play. And that's part of our, our work as readers. As, as readers of plays. Um, there are different thoughts about the sources for this play Um, and and there's a lot of controversy around source material and so forth. Um, The one you probably should know about it's called the Ur-Hamlet and this is a play that actually was lost uh, and so we don't know much about it there's just references to it here and there Uh, but the Ur-Hamlet is thought to be one of the plays in London that was being performed in the 1580s uh, written by a guy named Thomas Kidd. Um, so that's, that's, that's a little bit of, of, of trivia to know about in terms of the source material. Different versions of Hamlet uh, came out, um, or we, we have different versions of the play, um, because of something called the quartos and the folio. Now, just a, a bit of, of Shakespeare uh, terminology you should know, the quartos. Q-U-A-R-T-O. This is a term that describes unofficial, you might say, pirated copies of the plays. Uh, These could have been uh, acquired in a number of different ways. One of the ways that quartos appear, or one of the ways it is believed they were created, was by actors who were in the play itself. Uh, These plays were were written and performed for profit. Shakespeare was making money, and that was part of the way he made a living. But because they were so good, they were in high demand, and so if you were a, uh, an actor in Shakespeare's play, if you could figure out how to perform that play, perhaps for a different audience somewhere else, you might be able to make money off of his play. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what about copyright laws, and what about these kinds of things? Those didn't exist in Shakespeare's day. Now, you weren't, it wasn't looked favorably upon. You were not looked favorably upon for, for pirating something. Uh, But there was no law against it, and you could go right ahead and do it. And so what you had was very few of these plays were written down for that very fact. If they were written down, how much more easily could they be stolen? They were were done differently each time, slight changes and so forth. I'm sure Shakespeare himself had very meticulous notes about these plays. But what you had were these pirated copies that came out either from actors, um, different troops that would come and watch the play and write down feverishly these notes, and try to put them together in other places and so these different copies would surface and they were called quartos and there are uh, a few different a few different versions or quartos because of that a folio a folio was an official version and and this this play hamlet was printed after shakespeare's death in 1623 the first folio of 1623 this version is a is an official version made by Hamlet's official acting group, and they printed and sold it. And so that would have, That happened in 1623, and that would have been the official version. But what's interesting, and why why people even care about this any for you know at all, is that as I just mentioned, there will be different versions of the play. Shakespeare would change the play. Uh, say he did it. You know he performed the play in April at uh, in London, but maybe he, he performed the play at a different city um, that next December, the same play. But people were there, and they wrote that play down, and that may elements of that play may, may have come out in a quarto. And so people realize, oh, Hamlet did this in this quarto, but he didn't do that in the folio. Why? Well, as we study these different versions, we discover things about Shakespeare and what he's perhaps um, trying to do with the play. Again, that is always the goal. We're trying to figure out what Shakespeare was seeking to to, to, to communicate, criticize what he was seeking to do with these different plays. All right, so the setting of the play. Uh, what is actually the most, the most accepted thing about this play is that the play is notoriously unclear about its own historical date and setting. And so there are lots of different opinions. Uh, some say this, this play took place in Denmark in pre-Viking times, um, some say you know this, this it was set during a time of a king named King Canute, uh, 1014 to 1035 A.D. or, or B.C.E. I'm um, oh, sorry, A.D. after after anno domini. Um, this idea is built upon those who explain Claudius's sending of Hamlet to England to be murdered. Uh, king Canute of Denmark controlled England and Norway, so it would have made sense that if King Claudius was supposed to be fashioned after this. Um, after this uh, Denmark king, this, this Danish king named King Canute, he would have had control of both England and Norway, and thus, by sending Hamlet to England, he could control what happens in England. These are just surmises and surmisings and so forth. So not, not very important, but um, again, the most important thing for you to know, the play is notoriously unclear about its own historical date and setting. Okay, so what else here is important? I think that's probably the most important thing about the background of the play. Um, but let's look at the let's look at the beginning. Let's look at the the way this play starts. This is always a an important thing to kind of consider. How does the, how does the play begin, and what does Shakespeare use? How does he present this to us from the very beginning? This play starts outside the castle. It's presumably. On perhaps the castle walls, by these guys called sentinels, who were like security guards, if you will, and they would walk around the castle, they would walk on top in these different parts of the castle to to check and see if there were anyone that was trying to make an attack on the castle itself, or on the on on the yeah on the, on the castle, and who lived in the castle but the king and the queen, and their court and many others lived there in service to the king and queen, but if but if a, a, an enemy were to to attack the castle and take it over and take the king and queen. By doing so, that enemy would take charge of the entire country. This is kind of the, 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 the historical kind of setting here. Now, that doesn't mean that people would necessarily fall in line and just obey. Uh, he may, This new king may have to get out there and, and put some muscle down to, to capture people's obedience. But... If they lost control of the castle, they lost control of the kingdom. And so the castle had to be guarded very carefully. The king had to be protected as well as his queen uh, because the queen would be like a bargaining chip, right? To put it it, kind of roughly. But Here here we have these two guys, Bernardo and Francisco, two sentinels whom we see talking right at the beginning of the play. And Bernardo starts and he's going back and forth with Francisco. Who's there? Nay, answer me. Stand and unfold yourself. Long live the king. Barnardo? Bernardo? So they can't see each other, it's too dark, it's, it's cloudy, it's misty, there's a lot of clouds. We don't know. We know that they can't see each other. And that's an important thing. There is, there is uncertainty of identity. And I'm going to come back to that idea. The uncertainty of identity. Uh, even just kind of looking forward a little bit, this, this comment or this, this famous speech by Hamlet, to be or not to be. This is speaking about identity in many ways. And the play itself starts with that, that question, who's there? Who are you? Who am I? Who are we? Who are we really? And what is our identity? And how do we understand our own identity? This is a question that still perplexes people today. I wrestle with this as well, and I'm sure you do too. Your identity. Who are you? Who are you truly? And how do you communicate that to others? That's an important part of, of who we are. So he says, who, who's there? And they answer me. Long live the king and so forth. Uh, Francisco, you come most carefully upon your hour. Uh, there is a certain nervousness. There is a certain uh, stress and anxiety these guys are experiencing. And he says, um, as Bernardo comes to relieve him, Francisco says, for this relief, much thanks. Tis bitter cold, talking about the weather. But then he says, and I am sick at heart. Now that, that's, that's an, a noteworthy comment, right? I am sick at heart. Um, and why would that be because there is there is there are things to worry about in this kingdom and they go on to explain why that is uh, in in the in the past in the recent past uh, king hamlet now this man has died recently but in in the months previous to that death to his death he conquered the king of norway king fortinbras of norway when he conquered king fortinbras of norway King Fortinbras of Norway's son rose up and is now taking control of Norway and wants to fight Denmark again, wants to fight King Hamlet again, to retake the lands they lost. So there is, there is some warring going on, wars and, and threats of wars. And so the sentinels play this very important part. There is not peace in the kingdom, in other words. There is not peace in the kingdom. There is the threat of an attack. And So that perhaps is why he is sick At heart so you look a little further into the play here Um, I like this line by Barnardo when he's talking to Horatio right Horatio later on we realize this is a very close friend of Hamlet the prince so Horatio is tied in with the royal court a bit Uh, but he comes out to see these guys they seem pull him out because they want to tell him about something that's happened which is the sighting of a ghost the sighting of a ghost now this whole talk about ghosts is just as freaky and weird as it was for them as it would be for us. Um, and so Shakespeare wasn't trying to write a fantasy play here. He's just writing something that happened that was freakish and weird. And everyone is struggling with, with what this means and what do we do with this. Um, it was as if Shakespeare sat down and said, What if, what if um, the ghost of a, of a murdered king reappeared? What if the ghost, we might say today, what if the ghost of an assassinated uh, head of state or president or king showed up and came back with a message from the dead um, about how we should live or how we should change our government or about how we should convict a certain criminal? So here's Horatio. He says, ah, this ghost you're speaking of, it will not appear, right? It's not going to come. This is Act 1, Scene 1, Line 32. And Barnardo says, sit down a while. And let us once again assail your ears that are so fortified against our story. What we have two nights seen. Uh, I love this idea. Here again, a new kind of uh, topic comes up. This topic of belief and understanding. How do we arrive at a place of understanding and belief? How do we come to know what we know? Right? This is an important part of the play. How do we come to know what we know? How do we verify how do we clarify? How do we come to a, a clear understanding of the truth? And this is something that Hamlet and the other characters in the play will wrestle with, but mostly our man, Prince Hamlet. All right, so they're talking for a little while, and then all of a sudden, Mar- Marcello says, Act 1, Scene 1, Line 43, Peace, break, break thee off. Look where it comes again. And the ghost enters. And Barnardo, in the same figure like the king that's dead. Thou art a scholar. Speak to it, Horatio. is once again, talking about Horatio as someone who's a little higher up in rank, connected. And Horatio, most like. It harrows me with fear and wonder. And Bernardo, it would be spoke to. He seems to be gesturing, right? Question it, Horatio. Horatio says to the ghost, What art thou that usurpest this time of night? Together with that fair and warlike form in which the majesty of buried Denmark did sometimes march by heaven, I charge thee Speak well, the ghost doesn't speak, but what, he, what what Horatio says here is pretty important in terms of letting us know what's going on. This ghost, clearly, as he says, has the fair and warlike form of the King of Denmark who has recently died. but the ghost moves away and eventually disappears, um, and it kind of tells us a bit of the backstory about how King Hamlet once a few months before it seems defeated the king of, of Norway. Um, what else here at the beginning is important? I'm just kind of looking through my notes and looking at these, these lines here. Um, the slang of Fortinbras is an important thing. Uh, here you go. Act 1, scene 1, line 70 Says uh, by Horatio says, In what particular thought to work I know not, but in the gross and scope of my opinion, this bodes some strange eruption in our state. Now, I love to look at these lines as foreshadowing uh, the strange eruption in our state. Because what's going to happen next is Hamlet is going to arrive on the scene. And when Hamlet arrives on the scene, there is a lot of confusion. Hamlet's confused. Um, His mother and stepfather, his uncle, formerly his uncle, they are confused. And there is uh, some anxiety about this confusion. And it really starts here in Act 1, Scene 2 when Claudius says, uh, in line 64, but now, my cousin Hamlet, he should say my nephew, I suppose, and my son. Hamlet's response, a little snarky, a little more kin than kind, and less than kind. Uh, He's not saying he wants to be unkind to Claudius necessarily. He's just talking about how he is in, in a grumpy mood. He is mourning for his father still. And the king said, how is it that the clouds still hang on you? And Hamlet says, again, I think in a tone kind of probably sarcastic, oh, not so, my lord. I am too much in the sun. He is not happy. And, and why should he be? I and mean, that's, that's the real question. Why are, I mean, my question of, the, of these characters, why would the king and the queen be happy themselves? This is Hamlet he just returned from university. He's been in Germany studying at the University of Littenberg. He comes back for his father's funeral. comes back for his father's funeral. Why would he be happy? Why wouldn't the clouds hang on him as the king says? Why wouldn't it? I mean the more obvious question is why aren't the clouds hanging on you? That, that means the, the better question that should be asked here and yet the king and queen Continue to press Hamlet, and the queen says, this is, this is Hamlet's mother, Good Hamlet, cast thy knighted color off, and let thine eye look like a friend on Denmark. Do not forever, with thy veiled lids, seek for the, th- thy noble father in the dust. Thou knowest 'tis common, all that live must die, passing through nature to eternity. And Hamlet's comment, again, a, a short quip, a bit sarcastic again, Aye, madam, it is common, right? I understand everybody dies, but my dad just died. And, and the second question that he, he's going to ask in a moment is, how is it that you're already remarried? How is it in just a few short months you're already remarried? <laughs> um, I love the, the line a little bit later where he says, the same meats that were used for my father's funeral were used for my mother's wedding. That's a pretty quick turnaround. He says, uh, In this same passage here when his mother pushes him to you know put a smile on your face buddy don't be so gloomy he says "Um, no I don't it's not that I seem grumpy it's not that I seem sad no I have within on line 85 act 1 scene 2 line 85 I have that within which passes show these but the trappings and the suits of woe attention here interior versus exterior Right? We're talking about tensions, something versus something else. Here we have an interior versus an exterior tension. What is inside me? This is the truth of who I am. What is on the outside of me, according to Hamlet really should be the same. It should reflect what is on the inside. And his mother is telling him to do the opposite, right? She's saying, I'll put a happy face on. And his point is, why would I be a hypocrite? Why would I make my external visage, my, my face, I want to make that different than what is on the inside of me. That makes no sense. That is an inconsistency. And, uh, and so he, he wrestles with it. And then the king jumps in. Ah, tis sweet and commendable in your nature, Hamlet, to give these mourning duties to your father. But you must know your father ha- lost a father. That father lost, lost his, and the survivor bound in filial obligation for some term to do obsequious sorrow. Uh, but to persevere in obstinate condolment is a, is a course of impious stubbornness. Tis unmanly grief. Now, when I read this, I want to just like slap this king, King Claudius. I mean, he is being so insensitive and so rude. And in many ways, an absolute jerk to Hamlet. Um, he's saying, you're being stubborn. You're mourning too long. You're, you're pouring out too much grief about your deceased father. Get over it, right? Be manly. Um, and this and this bothers Hamlet. Uh, he says a little bit later, "I shall, in all my best, obey you." Um, but then, after he leaves the he leaves the the presence of the king and the queen, his mother and uncle, he says these famous lines that really draw out his sorrow. And I love this this speech here. He says, "Oh, oh, that this too too sullied flesh would melt." thaw and resolve itself into a dew, or that the everlasting had not fixed his canon against self-slaughter. Oh God, God. So what do these lines mean? This too-too-sullied flesh, this this flesh that has been beaten by by sorrow um, and woe, um, this idea that his his flesh, uh, because of the, of the fact that we are Human, we, we must die and suffer or suffer and then die. Um, he's talking about the being human involves suffering. oh that this flesh that I have would melt and just turn into nothing. I wish I would I wish I could die in other words, he says and then he goes on, or that God had not made a law against suicide right? that's the other thing he says self-slaughter. He continues. How weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. He, he's, he's not interested in living. This one he loves, this father he loves has died, and he is in mourning. Fie on it, off fie, Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. That it should come to this, about two months dead. Nay, not so much, not two, so excellent a king that was to this Hyperion to a sadder, so loving to my mother that he might not beteem the winds of heaven, visit her face too roughly. Here he's contrasting a couple things. Um, First of all, he says, "My, my father's only been dead two months and already his mother has remarried. And then he's saying a Hyperion to a sadder. He's comparing his father to his uncle, his uncle, not half the man, in other words, that his father is. Uh, Today we might say these are uh, not apples and oranges, but this is like uh, comparing gold to lead, right? This is like comparing um, fine jewels to mere dirt. And this is the comparison he's making between his father, who is fine gold, precious jewels to the dirt and the filth that is his uncle, not half the man. He says... uh, A little farther, a little month, or ere those shoes were old, with which she followed my poor father's body, like Niobe, all tears. Why, she, oh God, a beast that wants discourse of reason, would have mourned longer. She married with my uncle, my father's brother, but no more like my father than I to Hercules. Again, just going on to to kind of debase and criticize his uncle, to criticize his mother as well, uh, that she had rushed into this rushed into this new marriage, and that is just breaking his heart all the more. All right, well, from here, scene two finishes with Hamlet being drawn into a conversation with Horatio, and Horatio wants to tell Hamlet what he's seen. Um, You can imagine, so Horatio was with the Sentinels the night before, this perhaps is the morning, and here Horatio is just looking for the first opportunity to meet with Hamlet to tell him listen buddy I saw your dad's ghost I saw your dad's ghost this is kind of a big deal um and so they end this this scene um uh, act one scene two line of 240. Hamlet says I will watch tonight he's going to go out with the sentinels tonight perchance to a walk again and Horatio I warrant it will I bet it will and then Hamlet says if it assume my noble father's person, I'll speak to it, though hell itself should gape and bid me hold my peace. I pray you all. If you have hitherto concealed this night, let it be tenable in your silence still. don't tell anyone, in other words, right? I will require your loves. So fare you well. Upon the platform twixt 11 and 12, I'll visit you. I'm there tonight, but don't tell anyone, he says, right? And so Horatio heads out, and Hamlet ends the scene. My father's spirit, in arms, all is not well. I doubt some foul play. Would the night were come? Till then, t- sit still, my soul. Foul deeds will rise, though all the earth o'erwhelm them to men's eyes. Uh, and this idea that my father's spirit um, again signals that something is not well, something is not well. And and you know he he referred to that. I didn't mention that earlier, but in that in you know, that speech I just read this tutu-sullied flesh. Um, he says, "'Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed.'" And he's talking about this, this, this life he lives, this life we live is an unweeded garden, is a garden, again, with all these weeds, all these plants that seem to want to overtake other plants. There's a lot of tension, a lot of foul play, a lot of crime, a lot of unrest. And here now, the, the arrival of his Father's Spirit to him speaks of something Amiss it speaks of something that has gone awry. It speaks of something that is dangerous. That is, that is, is arriving in a way to to fore, a foreboding, right? A, an ominous event is being uh, foretold by the arrival of this ghost. Um, it's 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 known, kind of in in this in the lore of the day, that a ghost would arise, a ghost would return if. Uh, there wasn't it was not the 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 ability to to bury the the person properly or if if someone's soul um was not cared for properly it would return as a, as a haunting ghost to a place until the soul could rest. And we're going to see some of this lore and we'll discuss that at a later time. All right, we're going to cut this off here. That's act 1 and 2 of Hamlet, the opening lecture here. Um I hope you're enjoying it so far and um Please shoot me questions and concerns as you're going along. All right, thanks.